Hi, I'm Chandrilla Avery, and you're watching Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Our guest today is a model. She's an actress and a comedian that you may best know from movies like Napoleon Dynamite as LaFonda Lucas or Greta in The Secret Life of Bees. So it's our pleasure and we are so very excited and happy to welcome Chandrella Avery to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome yes. to the show, Chandrella. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is going to be fun. I appreciate it, Kathleen and Tim. I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah. So many of the people that are going to be watching our show are, are probably going to most know you from Napoleon Dynamite. So let's talk about that first and foremost a little bit. Because okay. um, I've always found that movie to be really interesting because and how the how it kind of came to be a, a cult classic because it was so panned at first and, you know, the critics hated it and it came out and it was just kind of really ignored for a little bit. But it kind of grew as it went and people started to love it and myself began to love the movie. And now I think it's hysterical. And the more I watch it and just John Heater just kills me in that movie. <laughs> um, I wasn't a fan to begin with, but I am now. So I wondered when, you know, with you and, and other people who are part of that project, what drew you to that project in the beginning? And did you have any concerns about that movie going in? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and actually, you enlightened me on some things. Um, I was I recall the experience to be very um, explosive to begin with, you know, when it first came out at Sundance. But um, initially I was on a show called Girls Behaving Badly at the time with uh, Chelsea Handler, Kira Sotanovich and Melissa mm -hmm. Howard. And we were doing very well. And in between my hiatus break, I always did a feature. So I read the script um, in between doing Pranks Across America. And I remember to date, like reading it at Kinko's and it was hysterical. And I thought for me, I mean, I just figured either I'm like, like the corniest black girl I know, or like, this is the funniest thing ever. And I think it was a combination of both. And so I, I knew immediately that if it played like I read it, then it would be something very different. Um, and also too, because they were looking for people, my height, they wanted someone five foot 10 or tall or African-American woman. Mm -hmm herbs, you know, and so that was actually me. And there was no one else in Hollywood I knew at the time that actually could kind of like fortify that type of breakdown. And it just spoke to me. I am, you know, an awkward person. Uh, I am anti-bullying. So I felt that this particular film could actually do something in that space for people who were maybe not feeling as popular or as pretty or whatever. And I knew immediately I loved it. And so I went in and read for it and here we are today, some, you know, almost two decades later, and it's still one of the greatest things that's ever happened to my career, for sure and for certain. And it was explosive. I mean, I don't think we'd ever seen anything quite, well, I had never at the time, and I know the guys hadn't because they were all new, fresh out of college. Right. And we went to Sundance, like the movie was kind of like creepy crawling, and then it went to Sundance and... I mean, I literally had to change my whole life in one calendar year. It was like I was one place living here to somewhere else in secrecy that I've been ever since. That's awesome. <laughs> you have that moment yeah. of, yes, yes. 
It was, it was, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm a theater major and I'm a, I have a degree in theater. So I think I always had an, an understanding and an astuteness about storytelling and what felt good for me. Um, I am spiritual. So to me, whatever God orders my steps, I'm right there. And that sure. felt right at that time. It was the first year of me being in Hollywood. And it was something that I fell into a cult classic within my first year. And that has actually fortified my career uh, since that time. So uh, I believe we all felt something unique once we got to Utah and we were all together, myself, of course, you know, Pedro, Efren, um, and the rest of the crew, John, John Heater, but more importantly, like John Grice, who had been the most seasoned of us all in terms of his years of in the show business. But we knew while we were there in this small little awkward town, like it was something special. And actually it was really refreshing for me because there had not been any black people in Preston, Idaho. So I was like the biggest and the only thing, I mean, you would see reporters that are like peeking around the tree, just <laughs> take a look at me, like, and they would come back and they only wanted to do interviews with me. And it's like, you could tell like their eyes was like, <laughs> she is black. Like it was like, and I was like, I'm black. <laughs> it's okay, and I've noticed. Stuff. I, and, and I didn't get, I didn't know that there had been that disconnect mm -hmm. in that part of town. I just, in that part of the country, I just didn't know. I wasn't well-versed, but I want to say that the film for sure and for certain embraced this whole energy and it has changed everything. I mean, I went back a year later and uh, to Brigham Young University and I don't, to date in the town of you, between Utah and Preston, Idaho, I don't think I've ever held and hugged as many, held as many white babies and <laughs> hugged as many white people in my whole entire career. And I'm not even a black or white thing, but it was like a sea of white people and babies. And it was like, just take a picture with the baby. I was like, of course. And so I think that really changed the narrative of something that was more speculative and them not allowing this, this race of people to be there. And that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. So it just awesome. brought so many wonderful elements. And to this day, I just feel so blessed to be used in that way. And the sure. film too. Yeah, we all, and we love each other dearly, like dearly. It's like, yeah, it's insatiable. <laughs> it's so great. I actually, I grew up in a town and I currently live in a town where the same thing would happen if you came here. Really? Everybody would be like, what? <laughs> so it's almost like the blonde haired, blue eyed child going to China. Uh, or Japan and, mm -hmm. you know, and people be, are getting excited about something that is so clearly different than anything they've been around. <laughs> Which is a good thing, though. That's the oh, one. awesome. Yeah. Right, about movie making and storytelling. And that's mm -hmm. what I loved about Jared even creating that character, because everywhere I go, people are like, and you guys really loved each other. And for a minute, to be honest, you know, I'm Mrs. Dynamite. I know you announced me as LaFonda Lucas, but it's LaFonda Lucas Dynamite. So we got to get into that. I am Mrs. Dynamite. There was, I was a gonna, I was going to do that. But I was like, I didn't know if people listening would be able to remember the fact that you are actually Mrs. Dynamite. But I was like, I'll just introduce her as LaFonda Lucas for the moment. And I appreciate that because that gives us a little room to say that when the film was so popular, you know, while it was in theaters at the time, they were really pushing Jared and Jerusha to do like a part two, like immediately, like get a part two, like it's this thing. And he was just like, I don't really want to do a part two. Like, that's not what we were doing. Like, this is it. And so the pressure cooker was on and all he could come up with was based on a lot of the fans responses were where did Kip and LaFonda go when they got on the bus? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's from mm -hmm. Michigan. She's from Detroit. 
So the character is from Detroit and my family's from Detroit, Michigan. Um, and so that's where Jerry said, oh, they went, they went home and then they brought her family back. So then I had to come back with my family and that's my real family in the movie. Oh, that's fantastic. Home. Remember there were no black people. Right, in exactly. That totally remember? Makes sense. So, you know, and, and Jerry was like, Chandrola, do you remember? Like there were no black people. Do you, do you think your family might want to be in it? I was like, yeah. So my mom and my sister and a couple of my brothers, they were in there. And the one black guy that Jared had like me, I guess he like mowed his lawn when he was a boy. He lived in Utah. He put him in there to operate as my dad because my dad had to stay here in LA to watch the rest of my siblings at the time. And so we all charted off to Preston, Idaho. And that was, we got more money to do that ending, the wedding scene, than we had had to do the whole entire film so my family got like per diem like they had a fancy hotel oh, cool. down for oh, them it awesome. was so beautiful and my brothers were like giants my brothers my family's tall so it just was refreshing to see everyone in the town just embrace us all and by that point you know they were just excited for us to be there and this love had percolated to this point of marriage and people, we started going out doing press tours, like showing up at the movie theaters while the movie was still going on. And at the end, you know, they would say, we have some special guests and we would, Kip and I, Aaron and I, we would go down in the front and we would be like, we're engaged. And we would have this big old oversized ring. And then it started getting out in Hollywood that we were really married. Like it had turned, this movie had turned into this love affair in real life. So it was like so crazy. And by the time it like, like really, blossomed up to a place where we were in our, I don't know, I want to say like our fifth or our 10th anniversary, somewhere along those lines. People were just like, oh my God, this movie turned into this real love affair. And I'm like, actually, the his wife is in the movie. She is, is she plays Uncle Rico's girlfriend who rolls up in the inn on the bike. That's Aaron's real wife. In real life. I love this. Right? I love this. Okay. And then I have a husband that I've been with since college. So, you know, but my husband, he stays out the way he knows and Yucca stays out the way. And every time we show up to public appearances, we are as in love and married, honey, as they come. And we are married. <laughs> <laughs> we are in love. You hear me? And I mean, it's truly a love thing. What were we at? Just in 2018, we went back, all of us, to do a school um, presentation and we, you know, talk what we do, make public appearances and you know Aaron is there you know he's shorter than I am and we are just we're hugged up and I mean it's not even a fake thing like a movie thing we genuinely do love each other and so it always makes me very verklempt because when people don't really realize how you uh, it, it wasn't really a color thing it was a heart mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. You know, we genuinely fell in love with each other for real. And our spouses get it. And, you know, everyone around the world, they get to envelop this great love affair that has be still sustained. And um, we talk all the time, you know, the whole entire cast, we're a true unit. And it's one of those things that it makes it even sweeter that the movie is still delicious to people because there is a genuine love that um, Aaron and I have for one another. And it's, it's always remained and it was instant. It was like, that's that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> I told my sister who we were interviewing today and she actually just sent me a gif of Kip holding the LaFonda cardboard sign. <laughs> like my phone buzzed and I looked over just to see the gif. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Timing is everything. 
Right, guys? Listen, we knew we were someone when you can have, like, the phone and it's like you put in your name and it comes up with us dancing. Like, you know, that so dancing. Yes. And we're oh, doing love it. Yeah. Thing. And it's just like, how do you know that that's going to happen a year in? You just say, listen, it's it's something that's more supernatural than not, right? Because you can't make that up no matter right. how much you love something right. or how much you think is amazing, no matter how much collegiate education I have, it doesn't matter. It's you lead with your heart. And that's why I tell people there are no small parts because as you know, I had what, all of three lines, like, why are you so sweaty? Like, it's just like <laughs> one, two, three lines. And then everything else was old looking and eyes and oohs and hey, hmm. <laughs> and that was the thing. And like, now that's my career. <laughs> so awesome. any, any two more lines after that, they're like, oh my gosh, she's such a great actress. You know, if you can just do all of that. And, and I remember that at, at um, Sundance, there were many, um, Glenn Close, there were so many stars that was at our first screening and many people came up to me and it was so humbling. They was like, do you know that before we spoke, there were silent pictures and that for you to have this level of gift to be able to tell this fluid story with so small, you know, something to say, but everything is in your space and in your heart, like you're a really solid actor. And I just remember thinking, thank God. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, th I think that part of the reason why some people, I think, had an issue with the movie at the beginning is that that Jared has is a very different writing style. Yes. And he has a little bit of a drier sense of humor. And for those who, who aren't familiar, so the 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 director of the movie, Jared Hess, he's also behind Nacho Libre. Uh, another movie called Gentleman Broncos, which is a very interesting story. If you've never, guys, have never watched that. That's a different one, but it's it's still oh very funny. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, so there's it's a different style of writing. But if once you get used to his sense of humor, his stuff is very, very good. And so, yeah, and I think that's why Napoleon Dynamite with the cast that you guys had on that movie and the way that everybody did every, you know, work their roles. There's a reason why it's gone to cult classic level and why you guys are are on, you know, have GIFs on phones and all these different things. And there's, there's so many memes about Napoleon Dynamite, uh, different things about it and why you see so many vote for Pedro shirts and all these type of things because of not just the way that the, the movie was written, but the, more importantly, the way it was portrayed. So, yeah, good point, Tim. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And the bringing in the multicultural aspect, right? You, you no, absolutely whole dynamic in there and you just get a gumble of, and I believe at that time, if I'm not mistaken, there were to your point, no films being written in that way, but there was a no. movie called, um, I did a film later on in my career, um, called end of watch with, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And he okay. had done a Donnie, I think it's called Donnie Darko, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. That was like another kind of, um, cultish type of, but it was in the dark side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. our film was more, hi, any grandmama can watch our film, right? We had no vulgarity in it. There was right. you know, innuendos, but nothing ever, you know, overtly, you know, flagrant and like, you know, disrespectful. And that was something at the time I was, I was happy to do because I was doing Girls Baby Badly and we were just so silly and we were on the edge. So it was nice to be where my younger siblings could see something that was, you know, refreshing and vulgar removed and all of those innuendo things that kind of go on in, in filmmaking. I was happy and pleased to tell that story or be a part of that, you know, journey of of these eclectic, odd, very unique people that still found love and happiness and triumphantness. And I'm a, I'm a man and not a nerd, you know, in this rural part of America mm -hmm. that you didn't really think was 
even on the map. And yet we put it on the map. You know, um, one of our cast members, may God rest his soul, he just passed away, who played the priest that actually married us. You know, he was the one that also, too, was uh, they worked at the uh, chicken coop. And so Dale, the character Dale, he just passed away here. But he was a fan of mine although in the movie, but he was a fan of mine outside. So we spent a lot of quality time on the call, even during COVID, talking to him where he was at the convalescent home. His daughter just called him and was like, he just felt so connected to you and you were so kind to him on the set and so loving. But his language, you know, he could barely understand what he was saying because that's just who he was. But it worked even for the film. And he became like this rock star. So if you look him up, he passed away and every publication wrote about him. Like in mm-hmm. all the trades. And so it just has something to be said about, you know, the unique characters that, that were stars from one movie. And he was an elderly man and he became like a star in later in his life. And that's also yeah. a testament to this industry. There's no entry age. There's no exit age. There's a retirement. You can do whatever you want to do. And even if you don't have the best diction or we don't know what's going on, you can be a still st- a superstar, even in a movie like ours. So, there you, you know, go. beautiful yeah. thing. Excellent. So you mentioned uh, multicultural earlier, and that actually brought me to my question because I was looking up, preparing for the interview, and I had found on Wikipedia, which I know Wikipedia is not the most credible of sources in the world, but sometimes you you go with what you can find. Um, It mentioned a TV pilot that you and your husband had worked on in 2010 Hmm. that examines the difference between Africans and Americans, sort of a cross between Curb Your Enthusiasm and The Office. Correct. which I find fascinating. That that sounds fantastic to me. <laughs> so if that pilot finds a home and goes into production, mm-hmm. what would you want the main, I guess for lack of a better phrasing, lesson for the American audience to be? It's a great question. Thank you. You did some homework. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you did. And I I'm very- to. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really impressive because um, it was something at that time in this the culture between Africans and African-Americans. Um, it was the, the, the race of, Amer- uh, I would say, us as Americans and then being Black American. And I'm married to an African-American, literally. My husband was born in America, but he was raised in Africa and it's to two indigenous African parents. And so mm-hmm. many at the time, I didn't... Um, I didn't know that what the difference was. You know, they say, oh, you're from the land of Africa. Where? Where we at? You know, now we got the one, two, three and me since then and all of these other know your heritage. And so for me, I think what I would like today, um, because it still has a home that it, it's getting ready to be set off. Let me just say it in that way. It's still in the works. Yay. Uh, yeah, it awesome. is. Yeah, because I think now more than ever, it's more relevant. I think mm-hmm. people in their, their understanding a little bit more and and just in general of what we've learned in America, I would like for people to take away about that where you're from, even though he's here, born here, and he's from there and was raised there. He's indigenously an African-American to that. I'm a black girl from South Central, so I'm an American from South Central and I'm my heritage, I'm sure, is there somewhere. I ain't got the memo yet, but I, I want people to know that we're all the same universally, no matter where you are in the world. We have the same trials and tribulations. Um, cultural differences make us more intellectually smart. And I believe that we don't have enough of that here in our country. We're not intellectually smart enough to have the empathy for different people that may not have the same um, example, same way of going about the things of the life 
even if we're the same color. And so, or not the same color, or if we're the same Americans. So because he's still an American and so am I, we have totally different ideologies about things, but we actually don't when we sit down. We still come back to the basic things. We want our family to be well. We want to live the best life that we can. We want to be a blessing to people, hopefully, and we want to share our gifts to mankind. Some of those fundamentals um, are basic no matter where you are. We want to get rid of poverty and homelessness, and we want to help those who are in need with the more fortunes that we have. These are the basic things that I have discovered a Along my way in this journey of storytelling. And with this coming between he and I, and then to the place where we can elevate this conversation, I think people will, it's almost like the Curb Your Enthusiasm is more satirical in a way, mm -hmm. because the African culture is very dramatic. And people in America think the Black culture is dramatic. And let me tell you, we cannot compete. And I am, and I am from the hood but it's not compared <laughs> to the dramatics that go on in the African culture. They are serious, but there's a manner behavior and spirit behind them that I would say we've lost that here in America or never knew it. So my black family is being raised different than my best friend's black family. And that's based on social financial constructs, but there's okay. culturally, it doesn't matter if you from the village or you from the city, there is a fundamental culture that they have that we all can embrace, which of course is the British culture. And in that way, it gives them a spirit of confidence that they don't have the same issues that we may have here in our country, um, be it black or any other minority for that matter here. And so I hope people can appreciate the dynamics, but at the same time, know we're at the end of the day, we're all of one people. That's what I say in general. We're all really a one people when you look mm -hmm. at it. Yeah, you might go about it in one way. I may go. But when we all sit down, even if what we don't do different is the fact that we don't extend our minds to have empathy for other people and their situations or their ideologies and just listen. And as an actor, I have to do that. I never can judge a character. How else can I play these people so effortlessly and lovingly and devoted if I were a person who had judgment in my spirit in that way? I may not like your behavior, but I would never do that in such a way where it stops me from loving you as a human being. Why would I do that? Right. That just doesn't work. Not in the bigger picture of where I want to get into in heaven. <laughs> so that's, I hope that answers your question in a long form. It does. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> long form answers are good answers. We like long form answers. Oh, good. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, if there's an issue, if there's a difference with the dramaticism of one culture versus another, maybe I'm I'm way off base here and correct me if I am. But I have also understood in just in watching, uh, you know, different things over the years and reading and everything. But there's also a difference of of how things are taken, you know, um, literally. Mm. In, in, in that culture as well. Am I, sure. am I mistaken in that? Nope, you're not mistaken at all because their literal is different from our, um, how can I say this? We're not speculating. So like, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm black American. My husband is African American, but we're both black. When you see us, we look like we're just two black people that's married together and we mm -hmm. love one another, but his culture is very different. So his accent is very different, yes? So even his ideology is very, very different. So we'll be talking about something. And I may say, you know, let's just keep it as simple as the wording 
because their wording, although it sounds different, it also can mean different based on the set of circumstances. So he may say photographer or embarrassed. He says the word is embarrassed. For me, it's embarrassed. So what I find to be uh-huh. embarrassing, yeah, that word photographer, you know, photographer, you know, the way they break it all the way down, mm-hmm. you know, we're like mm-hmm. this photographer. Photographer is just for them, it's photographer. Okay, so it's embarrassed. Well, no, it's embarrassed. No, no, it's embarrassed. And the way it is said, and even in that context, the, the confidence in the word itself with which the way, whatever the subject matter is, we and this is what I love about being in a relationship with someone that's from a different world, if you will, because I can learn vicariously through mm-hmm. his mind and how he would see a thing that I would never. So I'll give you this one thing for 10 years. It was like, he just hasn't, he wasn't able to pick it up. Like I would say, honey, you just have to have my back, you know? And in the hood, that's like a thing. Like if you, Mm -hmm. like if I'm talking, but for him, he's like, you know, I'm trying to understand this thing. And what the argument was, the conversation, we call it reasoning. The reasoning was whenever my parents, he culturally, if the marriage is having some type of trouble, or if the wife or the husband is complicated and they're not acting accordingly, they have a right, that spouse has a right to go to that parent, that person's parents and, and ask for a meeting. And so one of the times we were together and he called my father and he was like, you know, you have to talk to Chandrala, please, because I'm trying to explain something to her. She's not understanding this. She wants to be very, you know, not difficult, but she doesn't want to acquiesce to what I'm trying to, because she's has to be right. And I didn't think I needed to be right at all. It was what it was. And then all of a sudden, my parents are at my door. And I'm like, what's going on here? And he was, they was like, well, I didn't say we have to have a meeting. So we had to come over here and do the meeting because that's what they do culturally. And I said, honey, you know, you can't do that. With black, you can't be calling on black parents <laughs> to come up over here and sit down like that can go in a ride like that. Like, you don't do that, baby. That's not going to happen over here because my parents can't just dictate what we do. We already married. We got to figure this thing out. And he was like, okay, but culturally, that's what we do. So I was so embarrassed that my parents and my, (laughs) I remember my father was just like, I mean, if the man is trying to tell you something, you need to listen to the man. And my mother's like, I know. And and it was all my fault. Like nobody, because he did it such in a respectful way that we had never seen. My parents like, I like that. As a matter of fact, I want my name to be Mumsy. I don't want you to call me mom. I want you to call me Mumsy. Because that's the British way, the way my husband... Right. Yes. So my mother loves she for whatever reason, Mumsy sounds like it's such a, a very, um, a, you know, a name that says she's a queen or something. It's Mumsy. Mm-hmm. So we're all calling her. I'm like, mom, nobody's getting into this whole Mumsy. She's like, no, no, no. My son-in-law, he calls me Mumsy. And so even in those two dynamics, it's, <laughs> it, you're, and it's a, it's a thing guys. And I'm being so serious because I never heard that. So the moment I had the opportunity where he wasn't listening, I was like, oh, the difference was it was like a different time zone. I'm like, wait till 12 hours get here. I'm, the moment your mother wake up, I'm calling your mama. Mommy, ah, you know you have to talk to Ade. Ade is not doing this thing right. <laughs> and I want to hold a meeting on the Zoom because they're not here. They're in Africa. So it right. was. it's this whole dynamic, I say, that just... You know, I appreciate that because as a storyteller in my life, these are the type of people that I would have to portray. And his way of thinking, 
I mean, he taught me how to say, you know, to think in a certain way where I'm like, oh, I don't like when that person does this. And this is way when we were in college. And he was like, you know, you have to look at the other side of the coin. And you're thinking the coin? He was like, you know, it's always, you know, your, 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 your coins have one picture on one side. Yes. And then you would turn it over and it would have another picture on another side. Abby, I said, yes. He was like, right. So that's how you have to look at things with human beings. They may have one way, but then you have to look at the other side of them. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the understanding that they may have an underst- another side to them. Allow them that opportunity to explain this to you. And those little tiny nuggets just, and as much as I thought I was a really wonderful storyteller prior to me meeting him, I'm like, I'm a thespian. I have learned much more just in those little simple nuggets of the way his ideology is about life experiences. And they are very emotionless type of people. It's not like they're all hugged up and PDA and nothing like that. There's no public display of affections. It's very, everything is very, here it is. We're married. And that's what it is. And then when you embrace with an American like he has with me in this way as a black woman, that's very loving and touchy feely. And I come from a big family and we're all like kumbaya and it's all awesome. When there comes a time when it's like pointing out your faults, he does not hold back. No, he will tell you. (laughs) There's no having my back. I'm like, honey, you know, you can't say that to my mom. Like, you didn't even have my back. He was like, I'm trying to understand the whole having the back thing. What, 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 <laughs> what, is that? what does the having the back have to do with telling the truth? If it was what it was, it was what it was. Was it not? I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to work out. Lord, what is going And it has taken us a long time, but he's like, I, I won't. He doesn't want to skew from the truth, even if it means that I'm wrong. And so we've had a healthy marriage because it is what it is. And he's not identifying with your faults to have your back because it makes you look good. Maybe you should work on trying to be better so the way he can tell the truth the way that it is. And so all of my siblings now, we've all embraced that ideology. And that's what's kept us sometimes, you know, you know, it's just made us a better people. Not saying we were not. My mom always had the same philosophy. That's why she loves him so much. She just had hers a little bit more with some explicitives. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> hers is a little bit more like, what happened? And his is more like, you know, this is the thing. So it's just, and they have their own little marriage that they do. They travel together. They have their own calls. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, even with my father, it's just learning. So I appreciate that in, in yeah. a relationship. And that helps me in all of my, my narratives throughout my That's journey. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm, thank I'm you. I'm just now imagining my husband after editing this, having a disagreement with me and calling my mom. <laughs> Listen, if he did, do you know how much your mom feels so valued? I mean, oh, my boy, <laughs> my parents darted over here as a two hour drive and they darted over here so fast at the door. Like, yes, I did call the meeting. I'm like, a meeting? This is, honey, you can like abort that whole vision, whatever that is, we got to abort that. But it also taught me a certain things because his, his family is the same way. They come here every other year and we sit down and they're like, how is he doing? Is there anything we can do to assist? I'm like, no, he's pretty good. He's learned how to deal with my mouth, which is excellent. I think he's That's the really hardest good. part about a marriage. Right? That's Spot hard. On. I say, mm-hmm. say it again, say it again, Tim. I said, spot on. If my wife can deal with my mouth, we're doing really good. 
Right? Oh, yeah. This is this is the thing. If you can deal with this mouth, like, you are winning. I'm going to hook you up, though. You're going to get some nice treats. I'm going to buy you some stuff. It's going to feel good. But when you, <laughs> it's going to feel like you're on a nice little journey. Listen, he had an opportunity. Somebody Googled him the other day. He was like, I, don't, I cannot believe it. My client, they Googled me. And I was like, you Googled me? Why would you want to Google me? And the person was like, I want to meet you. And he was like, he never really tells people that he's married to me unless it really, really has to because he has his own career. Mm-hmm. And I have mine. And we want to make sure that I, and I made it that way. If I married someone in this industry, we'd be, what director this? What is going on? It'll be this right. conversation all day. Mm-hmm. You need to have balance. I believe in balanced lives. And he provides that for me because it's still the regular life that I need to live and then embracing what it is because our lives are a bubble. You know, everything is fantasy. You get this and you get a prize and you get a gift bag and you get this. Right. We can oftentimes be so wrapped up in the deliciousness of it all. And thank God it is very delicious. However, you still want to make sure you're staying aware of what's going on in life. And you can be so consumed that you just not for not wanting to. You may not have the time in a day to really stay connected to the day to day. So I do the very best that I can. And I find myself to live a balanced life as a result of that. Well, tell your husband that he had somebody else Google him, too. So. I may have looked him up today. So just saying. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love him. No, oh, he was, he gets excited. He doesn't get starstruck, but I remember Christmas a few years ago, we went to, we stayed at one of these nice places for Christmas for the holidays and Jack Black was there. Really? Yeah. yeah, Jack Black was in the hotel and Jack Black is a wonderful, obviously, you know, we got, he's got Nacho Libre, I have Napoleon Dynamite, so we're friends. And he, my husband was like, oh, now that one, I have to meet Jack Black. I have to meet this guy. He has to meet me. I said, why does he have to meet you, honey? He just have to meet. He said, because that guy is like, both of you guys there, you guys are welly, welly in the mind, which means we're crazy. So he's like, and he wanted to meet him. And that was the one, it's like maybe him. And I think maybe like one or two other celebrities throughout this whole journey. And this, he's not really into that whole thing. Unless I have a premiere, he comes. Otherwise, I'm doing my thing and he's just excited to see me shine and um, he loves it. You know, guys like me, he's clear. He's like, listen, it doesn't make me feel no kind of way. Listen, if you want to deal with this wahala, this mouth of (laughs) her, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) That's the block to you. Yeah, right. Uh, I love it. Cast your votes. If you want to do it, go go yourself. That'll be fine for me. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like my husband kind of has that same attitude. And specifically (laughs) if somebody had like kidnapped me, it would be the, I'll bring her back. They'll get sick of her. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. But she'll be on the porch the next morning. <laughs> Kathleen, we're the best kind. Though. We're the best wives to have. We are the best. How long have you been married? Seven years. Oh, listen, you're right at the nice, in the nice cushion. I tell you this, like I tell everybody, every day is your honeymoon. Every, if you treat it like this, not about the years together, and I do the same thing in my career, if every day is like, my husband always says, take one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And I just believe that every day I'm on a honeymoon. I make my life the way I want it to be. I don't have to go beyond the confines of what society says and who says right. to do this. this time. No, I don't adhere or acquiesce to anything societal. I don't adhere to peer pressure. We do our own thing in our own marriage and we have a good time every day. So that keeps things fresh and new mm-hmm. and fun and, and zane. And, you know, just all of the accoutrements that actually fall off after you've been together for so long. But it's how your mind is, the perspective of how you see 
your partnership. And we're just like the best of friends. I'm goofy. He's accepted that I'm goofy. And he has become goofy in the, on the along the journey. He's learned how to be funny even when he doesn't know how to be funny. And, and then we're serious. We're about the business. And that's the thing, people. We're both the eldest children. So that helps us to be, um, and we're the funnest ones in the family because people like to come over and hear the two sides of this world that seems to, you know, if there was a camera in our home, oh my God, I would probably be a gazillionaire. They'd have like, <laughs> they'd be like, oh my God, this girl, this is a funny little couple. So there's a show on, you know, right now, what is it? Um, Bob and Abby Oshola, Abby Shola. Mm. So on, oh um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's that, but except for he's, they're like the grown up versions of Kip and LaFonda, right? You know, so she's right. got her side and he's got his side and they find a way to make their marriage work. But the show is so dynamic because it's telling very much in any way, shape or form. The difference is he's white and I'm a black American, but the, the unique uniqueness of them coming together culturally is beautiful. It's embracing the wardrobe, the garb, the food, the mm-hmm. essence, yeah. the language, you know, the dialect. All those things are wonderful elements. Um, no different than if you were married to someone from New York and you're from Michigan, right? There's a different culture there too. Right. Totally even, absolutely. Even right? growing up, I mean, I grew up south of Grand Rapids. I grew up on the, the southwestern side of the state to then get married and move across state. There was enough of a difference just in that three-hour drive. The split is right about Lansing, Michigan. And the west side of the state views things one way. East side of the state views things another way. And as you cross that imaginary line, it, it's there. Are, yeah, it's a different viewpoint. And it's then, I mean, it gets, it gets weirder. It's the, there's the vertical line at Lansing, but then there's the weirder line at US 10. Hmm. So you get the, the up north versus, yeah, it's, That's it's different. all sorts of funky. Yeah. See, that's different. That's good to know. You know, again, you don't really think that because you're like, you're all, I know California is kind of built like that, right? Because California could be its own country all by Mm -hmm. itself. So we're different. We know we're different, but I never really put that into it. I guess I wouldn't have even thought about it like that until you just said it. But that even in that alone, inherent in that, there's knowledge to grow, right? Even from that. Absolutely. And then then you have the the youpers and they're completely different. That's a whole nother thing. That's (laughs) That's a whole other topic. They're, they're, even, they're even weirder. <laughs> unique. Unique. Yes, very unique. Yes. Uh, so, Chandrella, we love talking to people who have taken the time and the opportunity to reach back out to help others that they don't know. They give back to their community. And mm. one of the things I found out about you, and I was happy, this made me so happy when I was doing my research on you, is that I came across your invol- involvement with the Sickle Cell Foundation of California. Yes. And so I was hoping that it, you would be willing to talk about that for just a minute and maybe explain what the disease is and why that topic is important to you. Great, great question. Thank you for so much. That's very important to me, Tim, and I appreciate you um, asking about that. Yes, it's um, a blood disorder. I mean, in short, I tell people the easiest way to comprehend it without being, you know, doctory, if you will, and I never like to be preachy to people because it gets confusing. It's a blood, I categorize as a blood disorder that's your blood in terms of the way that it's shaped, is shaped like an icicle. So like you guys have the snow there, the way the sickle comes down, you know, hanging over your um, landing over in your in your home, the way that it pierces down, it just doesn't formulate like a normal blood cell. And it normally, in most cases, is affecting African-American people. Ironically, though, it is from the origin of Africa. 
believe it or not, it's actually from the culture that my husband's tribe is from in Africa. And his, oh, yeah, the majority of people, and I didn't know this, the majority of people living with sickle cell disease um, is in, in Nigeria specifically, or in Africa, I say on, on the West Coast side of, um, of Africa. And his family is one of the rarest ones that don't have it. And it's like the oddest thing that he would culturally come here to the States back again, you know, being here and come here for college and meet with me. And it is affecting my family. So for, and, and, and again, from a culture standpoint, it's kind of taboo. Like, you know, you know that your children may be, have a short lifespan. Their life expectancy is 21. Um, they are feeble people, sick constantly, almost to the point of them operating like drug addicts. And I say okay. that because the, the way they need medication, sure. they oftentimes come across in that way, but it's not for the fact of the, because the pain is as debilitating as um, fire underneath your feet all throughout your body. That's what a crisis is for people living with sickle cell disease. And if you do not catch that train, that pain quick enough, it will send them over into um, where it could take about a week or two where they're in the hospital and the drugs are intense. And so most times because they're in poor areas, whether they're African-Americans that are poor, uh, they come across as being drug addicts when they're at the hospital and they're begging. And the, unfortunately, the medical system isn't as well versed. So the drug, the disease just became a national health priority um, when Obama was in office. It was this last thing that he signed off on. And I was part of the team of people that helped to get the 100,000 signatures in 30 days to put the bill on his okay. And I became an iconic woman for my philanthropic efforts to get the bill signed uh, for my chapter. And that's probably to date <laughs> my greatest accomplishment. It's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, because that's people, really cool. Yeah, I didn't mean to become emotional, but no, it's, that's okay. um, it's something that I was illiterate to knowing. I didn't know that they had never declared it a national health priority which means that they didn't have enough funding in these poor areas in all of the United States where black people are that have a lot of people living with this terrible debilitating disease. They just be, they just die, you know? And I had a pair of siblings that died. So the chapter that I am a board member for was a chapter, the founder of that chapter, one of them, was Dr. Theodore Blevins, and he was my brother's pediatrician um, all the way to the day he died at 17 years old. So he didn't live till he was 21. But there are many people like T. Boz, the singer in TLC, she lives with sickle cell disease. Um, there are many rappers and even athletes who didn't even know. My dear friend Byron Scott, who's with the Lakers, he has the trait. He didn't know he had the trait until he was on the Lakers okay. plane. And, you know, so there's a lot of no one telling you about the disease and even in your black community in your home you don't tell nobody because one you don't think people like most people put their sick children or handicapped children in the basement like they say in where we're from they don't get to work they literally can't do physical activity they mm -hmm. are they have jaundiced eyes they're very thin and very 
you know, sickly all of the time. So I have been an advocate for sickle cell disease um, all my life. And I am a a very vocal person (laughs) with the community, even though I don't have the disease. I am very um, much someone that goes to the hospitals for people and visit their bedside and help to communicate with the doctors and nurses about the reason why. And if someone is illiterate and they can't communicate it prophetically for you to understand, then you feel like they're addicts and that they just looking for drugs, you know, and that's not the case. Sure. So yeah. now, we're, we're, now we're evolving. The good news and the great news is that it has been declared a national health priority. We do have wonderful, um, my chapter, we're a part of now some six different facilities opening up throughout the United States in the parts of areas where people are suffering. And we see the difference so far here in the last few years, uh, it's been an arduous task, but more and more and more, the bigger I get, the more known I am, the more I'll always continue to fight for people who suffer. And right now, because there's so much blending of the partnerships, if you will, there's a group of people that are Puerto Rican. So there are a lot of Latino people who are getting sickle cell disease now because they have an auto, they have an immune deficiency in their bloodstream that's actually mixing with the the trait for black people and they're coming up with sickle cell disease and there are some that are just latino straight across the board that their bloods are not connecting um correctly and as a result sickle cell a part of sickle cell is coming in there so we've seen a lot in the last decade or so with people Conjoining, So it's important to deal with that like we do with any other disease that's on the table, more research and that we're doing the best that we can, but we can always do more. Very amazing. Good. That's amazing. So thank you so much for that. That matters a lot. <laughs> thank you for thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. So you've talked about your family and your siblings a little bit, and I'm the youngest of four. My husband is an only, which is an interesting combination there. <laughs> but from what I read, you're the oldest of your siblings, and there I, are ten. That's right. I'm the eldest of ten. That's and then, a lot of kids. <laughs> well, and then on top of that, my parents were foster parents. That's so awesome. yeah, we did. We've had about ugh, more than about two hundred kids over like thirty three years in and out. Oh, so, wow. I don't know. My mom is just like, forget about it. She's an angel. My mother does live with sickle cell disease. So she is, I believe in my heart that her, I grew up with my mom always very, very sick. And her mother passed away when she was younger and she assumed that she would too. So I was a miracle baby to begin with, um, based on the severity of her illness. And the fact that I am on this earth is a, is a blessing. But then on top of that, I had to learn really, really quickly um, about growing up like fast in case she passed away because right. she was always so very, very ill. And then we thank God she still is alive and thriving. But while growing up, though, she believed that once her life turned to where her body didn't ache so much, she wanted to give back and becoming a foster parent or helping other neighbors' kids. It started out with, bring your kids over here and let them hang out with us for a little bit. You know, I got a bunch of kids. It started out like that to a cousin coming to stay, to another cousin down the block, to, you know what, I think I'm going to get into this. To next thing you know, we got like 10 cots in the living room. I'm like, what's happening to my life? (laughs) 
It was from the very beginning. And I have a special need brother, a natural brother. He's Down syndrome. He's nonverbal. And so we do sign language with him and his name is Matthew. So Matthew comes and he, we didn't know he was Down syndrome. We had never heard of that. So we go from sickle cell to Down syndrome and then he couldn't eat. So he had like a little button in his stomach. So my childhood in high school, I was at performing arts high school, going to school all day, like a work day. And then I would come home to this house full of children that I still had to make A's. Okay. Cause mama didn't care. This is what right. we have. And she would say to me, you know, you have a little bit more, you see the bed you have. Some people don't have that. That's why you have to help them. You always have to help them if they don't have it. That's because you have it and they don't. And since you have it and they don't, give it to them or share. So I had all kinds of kids that I was sisters and brothers to, white, Mexican, Asian, mm -hmm. all the kids that came and stayed in and out of our house. It didn't matter what color they were. And we had them all. They were all my sisters or my brothers. And my mother did not hold back. She was like, listen, you feed them they favor. I said, but mom, the person you could see that they white, the kids at the school gonna say that cannot be your sister. And they're like, and I don't care what they say. I said they your sister and that's your sister. So I did get teased. It was an interesting, like that's your sister. Yeah, that's my sister. And we obeyed that. So today that kind of community of love and no color lines is I know for a fact what positioned me to be the person to be in like a Napoleon Dynamite and tell all these other stories because I actually, in, in even going to school in private school, I went to school, uh, private school when I was growing up, my mom and dad had met these people, they're Ireland's at my mom's school, the university she was at. My parents graduated from USC, but my mom, she befriended this woman, Miss um, Jan Sandusky, never will forget it. Her sister and sister-in-law owned a, a Christian church and mm -hmm. they had a home in the front and to get to the school in the church was through the backyard. And do you know, these people, they kept me during the weekday and I went to private schools with the Ireland's that when I look back on it, I could not have imagined how they put their lives on the line for this little black girl because, and they, I, they low key kind of smuggled me because they were like, okay, Chandrella, go and go through the, the right there to the fence and go right in the chapel and sit in the front. I'd be like, okay. And I was a little girl and, and during the weekends I would stay, you know, I would go back home and, or in the evenings, but they would help my parents be, because in the city of Hawthorne at the time, there were no black people allowed to live in that area. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. Right. So I, but my parents wanted the best education for me, prim school proper. I listened to Mozart, Beethoven, Chopin. Like I'm such a, that's why I said to you at the top of the conversation, either the script was really the funniest thing ever. I'm like the, the oddest black girl. Like I'm kind of, but those are both because I lived with these wonderful white people. Like I love the islands and I didn't know that they were white. I guess the funny thing, I didn't get that they were white and I didn't even recognize that I was the only black kid in the school. Like it didn't register to me because we just all, no one ever said, oh my God, you're a different color. I never experienced that. Like never. We just were who we were. And mm -hmm. that spilled over into my home. Yeah. And That's awesome. you know what I'm saying? Like my mom just there isn't a kid out there that probably would say if someone that was Asian of Asians and we had a ex foreign exchange student that had come to live with us for like a year, she spoke zero English and she figured it out through my mother's sign language and her tone over here, there, put that over there. No, over here. Like <laughs> it was a whole thing. 
And Christmas time, it was all of us on there. And this Asian girl that was right there was cheese. And it never felt like anything at all to us. We knew it. But now that we're adults, like we're all adults and we look back and we're like, my mom will pull out some pictures. Remember such and such? Remember this girl? Remember that boy? Remember this person? I'm like, what promoted you? And my mom said, you know, I owed God. You know, if he could let me keep living, you know, through this heart disease, I'm going to give back. And so we have been a of philanthropy, I would have to say, guys, my whole life. Your mom sounds amazing. Amazing. Julie is an awesome chick. Like, she's just like, and I, I mean, she's just, she's just an angel, you know? She's and one of those people that you can just show up at her door and be like, I'm hungry, and she'll give you a whole meal, won't she? Are you kidding me? And I some clothes. This is the wonderful thing about my mom. So again, as you know, my husband's African. So when his cousins would come over during the time, you know, holiday time, my mother always, and I say always, this is not even a small thing, even to as recent as this last Christmas, it was almost embarrassing. She buys everyone, you get at least three to four gifts each. I don't care how old you are. And of course, the younger you are, you're going to get more. I'm like, oh, mom, I, she shops on January 1st all the way <laughs> so because we're like where are you getting all this money i know that you all right and we give you allowances but what she said honey i shop all year long see y'all don't know how to shop y'all don't know how to get y'all stuff together so you'll come over and it'll be like full 500 gifts and everybody that came to the house it didn't matter if it was the next door neighbor she'd be like go upstairs in the closet in the back there's a whole lot of other bags and stuff bring that stuff on out here's some gifts for these kids and people my cousin-in-laws they would come and they would have four gifts even she'll write it on the side, write the name on there real quick, make them feel very special. They always felt like you knew I was coming. No, but mama always has a good 15, 20 gifts stashed away. Oh, in the that's fantastic. Right. Isn't that awesome? So no Your one mom is amazing. Felt, you need to no. let her know that there is a soon to be 30 year old in Michigan who absolutely loves her. I, I will tell her. Absolutely loves her. I've never met her and I love her. <laughs> Thank you. I, I know. Just, that you would. Thank you. Just the way that you described her reminds me of my wife's grandmother. Um, Grandma Cot, whenever you'd show up at her house, didn't matter what time you showed up, what you were coming, she always had something for you to eat. If she was making you a meal, there was at least a four course meal and and she was gonna make you a plate. Oh, you don't like that? Don't worry, it's gonna be on the plate anyway. Just go ahead and eat it, you'll be fine. <laughs> But grandma, that, that just the way you describe it reminds me very much of grandma, very loving, very caring, wanting everybody to be included and mm -hmm. everything. So totally making me yeah. think of my grandpa too. So like, yeah, please so give her a hug from us, please. I will. And you see that we all are one to my earlier point, right? You yep. have this always oh, something. We have something in our family that we always can blend together. And this is what makes us, uh, this is what makes life so delicious. There are times when you're just like, see, Grandma Cog got a shout out. Your granddaddy got a shout out. My mama, mama DJ got a shout out. And when you look at those people as people that help you to stay grounded, you just want to be the best that you can. You mm -hmm. know, no matter, in spite of whatever's going on in the world, you just want to fight to say that little nugget that that person offered me, or this little nugget that I saw from this other person, incorporate that in your life. And that just gives you more sustainability, you know, to maintain on this earth that continues to seemingly get wayward at times, right? You oh, still yeah. find yeah. the best that you can do to make this stuff laughter. Because this, these are beautiful gifts that no one can write about. This is just the innateness of how I find that God pours that kind of good stuff into us. And yeah, so absolutely. I'm proud. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just the mm -hmm. good stuff. Yeah, and it still reigns true today. Good yep. is still great. 
I tell people, no matter whatever's going on in the world, just still do your part and be good. And that will help mm-hmm. everyone else. Yeah. One, Absolutely. One time. Yeah. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I do have one ridiculous question that I need to, to ask. It's a very okay. ridiculous question. Well, it's probably not, but you can ask it anyway. Do you I know, have Kathleen, any tater tots be. in your pockets? Do I have what? Tater tots in your pockets? <laughs> that was ridiculous. No, it is. It is. No, no, I, just, don't, I don't think I have tater tots in my pockets ever. I don't, but, but I do no normal tots. person should. <laughs> I and did, though. What did I have? Didn't he say um, gum? Was it tick? What was it? He said, don't you have some? Oh, chapstick. I do always keep my chapstick. I do keep that in my purse. That's good. There you go. I've got my purse chapstick, the chapstick next to my side of the bed, the chapstick that's in my car that's probably melted at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chandrella, we have one final question for you, and this is how we end all of our interviews. We end it with a silly question. Uh, You can answer this as serious or silly as you like. okay? Okay? All right. Up to you. Okay. What's the weirdest food that you've ever eaten? Um, the weirdest food I've ever eaten, I would have to say, or that I, I took a bite of, but, but it didn't all stay down was <laughs> it was a goat tongue. Oh, I know. Oh, oh. You look at the time. I got a thing to go catch. I'll see you later. <laughs> it was, and it was traveling. See, and I, I'm, I'm such a creature of habit. Like I just like the same type of foods, but I'm married to, you know, a foreigner. So you, yeah, 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 I get it. You get it, right? And it was a tongue. And I, and they have foods, you know, they have a lot of soups and stuff that you don't know. Some of them look like it's a little mini this and a little mini that that you, you don't want to get into with mm-hmm. their goosey soup. They got like an goosey soup and it looks like all kinds of unique body parts that I just want to zip. But then you taste it. It's like you just want to get to the soup part. But, but the crunch stuff... <laughs> It just didn't stay down, y'all. It just didn't stay down. And it was an too many obstacles to the soup. Let me tell you something. It was the most embarrassing moment. Everybody in there was like, ah, you know this one. You know, Ida, I don't know about this one. She will not survive. I was like, I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. I just, I just need to know if it's a goat tongue. I, I think I'm going to abort the whole tongue thing, guys. Like, I, I need I, to I go just, back to America. I just don't want to get, I'm going to go back to America. It was like the goat tongue. <laughs> and like, I'd have been there like, uh, y'all got any cheeseburgers back there? This you is know? what I'm saying. They don't have the, now. They finally haven't, you know, specifically in certain parts. They, you know, of course, they got Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken is everywhere. I'm like, I don't even eat chicken in public. Okay, I don't eat chicken in public because we make chicken all the time growing up. Everybody know about chicken. I am mm-hmm. anti chicken in public, so I eat, um, you know, steaks. I like a good steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can skip on some tongues in any in anybody's animal. I'm not work the whole tongue action. Um, they eat teeth. It's a whole lot of stuff. Eyeball. And stuff. I, don't, just, I don't do organs. I don't just do organs in general. I don't want to do it. It's just, just in general. I'm with you, sis. But you asked me, and that's what I did. And right, I get it. It didn't stay down. It came right on up, and it was like my body was like, "That's disrespectful, Chandrilla. Don't <laughs> ever do it again." My, my body. Oh, and my, done. My and mom done. did. My mom did a big turkey dinner. She used all of the pieces that came in that turkey. She made homemade stuffing with liver chunks in it. Not necessary. You can tell her she doesn't have to do that again. Oh That's my right. Gosh. You tell mama she can abort that whole. There's some other alternatives to that. But, I don't. That's right. Uh-uh. My brothers being like, "Oh, mom, this is so good. This is what did <sighs> you do? This is so good." I'm like, "Oh, <clears throat> not touching it." 
I'm not doing it. I'm not doing yeah. it. I mm-hmm. do not want to eat liver. Liver is gross. Well, you know, there are, and I, I have, I, I can say that it's an acquired taste and it depends on how you make it, right? I might be able to get away with it, but it's not something I'm running to every day. I do eat steaks. I mean, I love a steak. I love a good mm-hmm. steak. But I don't eat meat all the time every day, right. um, but I can eat the same things. Like Tim said, good burger, you know, some fish. I'm into fish, obviously. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I am, I am a huge fried chicken fan. Like fried oh, chicken you? is my jam. I mm-hmm. love fried chicken. Mm-hmm. I love fried chicken. Really? Yes. Yes, please. That really, Tim? That is oh, so yeah. funny. That's probably the least thing on my list that I eat is fried chicken. Unless I'm gonna get like maybe a Popeyes, because I can make fried chicken very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we grew up eating. My mama can burn some fried chicken. My mother can cook some fried chicken too. But I just never get into the I, I don't know, maybe because I just grew up eating fried chicken all the time. I I rarely make it in our home, like for real. And and I always have to say my husband loves fried chicken also. He loves it. Me, mm, I don't I can it can miss me. Mm-mm. See, I can't cook it, but I can buy it. And when I buy it, it's really good. Of course. So, you can cook well, it. You can cook it, Tim. No. All you have to do, let no, me no, tell I you. Can, I will send I can you cook recipe. a lot of things. I can cook a lot of things. That That's not something that I can do well. I will I've send tried. you my seasoning recipe, Tim. So then here's yeah. the thing. Bobby Brown, you, you guys know the singer Bobby Brown? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Bobby Brown is my dear brother friend. He has a company called BobbyBrownFoods.com. It's a plug because I love BB. Hey. And he has the best. Remember that old shake and bake that we mm-hmm. used to have? Mm-hmm. He has the best brown bag in it. It's called brown bag in it. And it's the same space of the whole shake and bake, but shake and bake, but 10,000 times better. Mm-hmm. You get Bobby Brown's, you can just go right on to his bobbyroundfoods.com and get his little brown bag in it. And you put the chicken or fish or steak or whatever in there. And it tells you right then and there, you don't have to do nothing else but just drop it in there, shake it, shake it, and put that thing on in some grill. Make sure your, you know, your fire is really, really high. Mm -hmm. First, let it get really, really hot and then turn it down and put Bobby Brown. You don't even need to add any more seasoning to it. So that prevents you. I'm just saying, if you want to get into something that will help you eat your fried chicken, that Mm -hmm. I found of all the things where you don't need to try it. Yeah, I think you would like that. I promise you. Worst case scenario, put a little salt on that on the meat before you dip it in there, but you actually don't need to. And even all of his seasonings are amazing. So that's something that you can do right now all by yourself. You put that thing in the grease, I guarantee you. If you got a little bit of cooking skills, that's all you need is Bobby Brown's brown bag in it. I know I gave him a commercial plug because that's worst, my boy. <laughs> hey, worst case scenario, I'm going to walk around singing some, some new edition songs while I'm doing it, so. Ms. Chandrella, we have enjoyed talking to you so much today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and what you've got coming out? Thank you. Um, they can go to, I'm on Facebook. You can, it's a Chandrella Avery, whole name, S-H-O-N-D-R-E-L-L-A, Avery, A-V-E-R-Y. And as well on Instagram, Chandrella Avery. And I'm on Twitter, um, at Chandrella, not on TikTok yet taking some time to TikTok it. So those three mediums, you can always find out. Um, I'm always, you know, up to date, keeping up. Uh, you also have, I have my company, glassslipperpictures.net. You can look that up and see some of the more innovative things that we're doing now that's coming up. I do a lot of producing. I've made about 10 or 12 projects myself. And awesome. I'm now, yeah, a full-time distributor. That's been incredible, helping a lot of people get the right type of platforms to get on. Um, and I've put out about 30 films you know, as a distributor. So, um, I'm always constantly working and evolving and it's called show business. 
And I think a lot of times people get caught up in the show and forget the business. Mm-hmm. I do. It is of, a business. Yes, it is a business. And I've, I've done the very, very best that I can to diversify my career to always stay very relevant, but also progressive. And so nothing is ever stagnant. Uh, I'll be directing some content here at the end of the year, God willing, as that all goes well due to COVID. And um, still making some more original concepts that I like to tell people's stories uh, from the reality show side to even doing feature films on from books that I've acquired. So, which I've. Beautiful. Yeah. So, thank you guys so yeah, very definitely. much. Definitely. We are going to link those in our episode description so that people can find you. Okay, please do. Yeah, and we also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we continue to grow and we get these amazing guests like Chandrella here today to come in and we have these great chats, these conversations for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It's going to help more than we can ever really tell you. And please go check out Chandrella on her social media and her company, uh, Glass Slipper Pictures as well, so that uh, you guys can continue to see the good things that she's doing. And remember, kids. Pop culture is all around you. It influences every aspect of your life, the choices that we make, and the things that we do. So come back next week because we're going to have your fix waiting right here for you on Pop Culture Addicts. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 Pop Culture Addicts. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by Pop Culture Addicts or any of its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at PCAPodshow at gmail.com.